Amen. I appreciate so much you being in service with us today. It's just a good, like Jay said, it's a worshipful spirit here today. I want to touch base and tell you a couple things just real quickly. I think they've had several announcements that have been on our screen, but it is Young at Heart Tuesday night, and so we always want to invite folks to come out for Young at Heart. It starts at 6 p.m. I want to say a very special God bless you and thank you to each of you for your response to Pastor Burton last week. Um, what a word, a powerful word that Pastor Burton uh, ministered to us. Um, number one, uh, he said this about our church family. Here's, he, said, he, said, he said, I've been to nine different churches this year. And he said, this is the best one by far. Now, let me just say this real quickly. I don't necessarily know that God puts a good, better, best on the church. But I think what he was saying by that is, is your response to the word and your uh, value and appreciation for each other. That it, it's discernible. It is. He wasn't here when you didn't say amen very often like I am today. Or he might have dropped that down a little bit. But I wanted to say thank you to your response uh, to Pastor. And, and we'll have him back. Um, we, it was a, it's a new season of life for him and Sister Marilyn. And we'll be looking forward. There was such a spirit of, of compassion. My, my, I was challenged by, in my heart, um, on the area of compassion for people. Because I saw it again firsthand with Pastor Burton's authentic um, compassion for people. And uh, he, he says, I love you a lot. Now, I don't know if he means that all the time. I think he does. If he doesn't, he says it in such a way that you think he means it. But Shane sat at the table with us uh, for just a minute. And uh, he sat down beside Pastor Burton, and because Shane and I were going on a, a missions trip this past week, and uh, <laughs> nonetheless, but we won't go there. Um, however, uh, Pastor Burton said, "I love you, buddy." To Shane, and Shane said, "I love you too, Pastor Burton, and I don't even know you." <laughs> and that's kind of, kind of the gist of it there. But it just it challenged me to see, you know, his compassion. It brought me back into um, where Sherry and I and how his, he, had, he and Sister Marilyn had impacted our lives. And so I just wanted to say a special God bless you to thank each of you for your response. Secondly, one last thing real quickly before we get into the word. Shane and I was out of town on a failed turkey hunt. It's never a failure because we got to talk about a lot of things. It's good. And um, it failed because my turkey guide just couldn't put me in the right place that I needed to be. But nonetheless... We, uh, we were able to participate in the Wednesday night service online um, and just got to hear uh, what Jace was ministering and, and mine and his conversations about kind of where we're wanting to go with Wednesday night. And uh, Jace was able to share a, a, a portion of that this past week. I'm going to be picking the, up the baton from him on Wednesday. And we really want to see the dynamic of Wednesday night change some and to shift it to uh, more of a, an involvement from our church family, to take us a little bit away from simply a lecture-based teaching moment. There's going to be preaching and teaching, but we're going to reduce that time down because we, want, we need to be more vertical. We need the people to be more active. Listen, Wednesday nights used to be called a prayer meeting, and we've lost a little bit of that. And I'll tell you what, your voice matters. I'm having membership Sunday or membership class. I'm going to have membership Sunday in two weeks. If there's still time for you, if you're interested in membership, you can get with me and uh, I can get you into come to the class next week. It's at 9 a.m. But I, I was telling our church, our, 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 those that are going to join the church, I said, your voice matters. When you become a member of First Assembly of God, 
Your voice matters in this fellowship. And with that, I want you to know your voice matters in prayer before God. It does. And, and we, we want to draw the fellowship a little bit more vertical rather than just always horizontal to just see the impact that can be made when men and women come out to the house of God with more than just the mindset, I'm going to receive, but I'm going to, I'm going to give in this moment right here. I'm going to give in my, in my intercession, my prayer. I'll be preaching or teaching briefly about that as a part of that service of what our hope is and what our hope is for Wednesday night. So I just want to encourage you. It's a great night. We've got Children's Church. Chelsea and Aaron doing a fantastic job, and all their volunteers. We have youth. Pastor JoJo has the youth in the, in the Family Life Center. They start here with us. They go back there, so something for them. And then for the adults to be in the sanctuary and to just be a part of the presence of God. Come on, somebody. And, and to have value and to know that, that what you do in that moment matters, and it does matter. Amen? So I want to encourage you, if at all possible, begin to align your schedule. Make room for Wednesday night. I know every now and then somebody's going to miss out, go on turkey hunt or something like that, something important like that. Every now and then somebody, everybody's got a vacation. Sometimes you have to work late. But I do think that we have to kind of, we have to prioritize come on, our schedule. Isn't that right? For the house of God. Amen? Uh, lastly, the last thing is in front of you is a connect card, connection card. And if you're a visitor to our church, we are so grateful you're here today. And we want to encourage you to fill that card out. And you can take it to the, and there's a table, a connect table in the foyer. And um, I believe that Doug and Mary Lynn Evans, I think, are going to be there today afterward. If not, there'll be a handsome couple there that will greet you and answer any question that you might have about our assembly. So it's a good time to be a part of First Assembly. I believe that. And I believe God is going to re-agitate some things. He's doing some things in my heart and life that, that I think will become evident before your eyes in the next several weeks. I want to ask you to turn with me just real quickly. We're going to commence a new sermon series. And uh, I'm turning to Psalm 68. Now, they're going to go to that scripture in a moment. Before they take the scripture, they're going to place the name of my sermon series. Here's the title of my new sermon series. It's called Placement. Placement. Let me just tell you real quickly what placement means. It's the action of putting someone or something in a particular place. I think your life begins to change when you realize that God has the sovereign right to place you where he sees fit. Right? We're not our own, the scripture says. We were bought with a price. Correct? We're his. And so placement, the action of putting, so we're not going to say something, we're focused on someone in a particular place. Over the next at least four weeks, I'm going to be ministering in that vein. Now, it's going to be a little bit diversified because next week is Mother's Day, but I'm still going to work that into the context. Two weeks from next week will be Pentecost Sunday, and there's a word with placement in that as well. So I'm very excited. I want to ask you if you would stand up with me. We're going to honor the Lord in the reading of Scripture. It's going to be two verses of Scripture today. So your time on your feet is not long. I thought I'd get a good amen out of that one, so, but nonetheless. We're going to read two verses here. See if this just identifies and bears witness with your spirit. A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. We believe that today. He does. He is. He's a father of the fatherless. He's a judge of the widows. Look what he says he does. This is what he does. Here's the action. Here's the action. God setteth. 
the solitary in families. I mean, we can read it on down. I'm going to focus on that first statement, but we're going to read it on down. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains. He brings those out. If you've been bound, God brings us out. I believe that as well. But tragically, the rebellious dwell in a dry land. I don't want to dry in a land. Dry, uh, I don't want to dwell in a dry land when I can dwell in a fruitful land, an abundant land. Come on, right? A fellowship and communion and relationship. So let's read that here. God setteth the solitary in families. Today, my title is and it is make room, make room. So I want you to just kind of hide that in your heart. Let's trust the Lord. Let's ask for His help here today. We need His blessing. We need His favor, don't we, church family? I need his anointing to be able to speak, don't, don't I? Without it, the scripture says I am but sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Right? I'm just, a, I'm just white noise in the background if, um, if God doesn't anoint me. But listen, I can have an anointing, but if you don't have an anointed ear to hear, right? If your heart's not prepared to receive this word. So we're going to trust the Lord that he's going to prepare your heart today. Amen. And that he's going to use me to speak a good word to your heart. So let's pray. Father, I love you today and I'm grateful to be here in this room, in this house. And I ask for your blessing today. God, I pray, Lord, by the Holy Spirit, God, that you will speak to us today. With clarity, with conviction, with an anointing. I thank God for every person under the sound of my voice, God, today. Whether they are a member of this assembly, a longtime member, or whether they're an adherent or whether they are somebody that walked in for the first time today, God, I pray, open their heart, let the Spirit of the Lord speak to them in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen and amen. And you can be seated in the presence of the Lord, and I'm so grateful. I believe that I have an attentive audience today. So I want to pick this up just very, very quickly, going back to the title of my sermon series, Placement. Extracted in this context from Psalm 68, where it says, setteth. And with this, just real quickly, it says that God setteth the solitary in families. It's just a small, simple statement, but there's great depth to it if we will just but ponder it for a little while. God is the initiator of this movement that takes place. Number one, he's the one that calls people out of, out of darkness into his glorious light. And when he does, how many of you know God doesn't just bring you out, he always brings you in. Come on now. He takes us out of darkness, but he brings us in to covenant fellowship. And so he's the initiator. God's the initiator. He's the one that makes the placement. He said it. That's the movement. That's the action. That's removing from and moving to. But who is he moving? The solitary. We'll talk about that in a moment. It means more than just simply beloved in the original language, but it means lonely, as in alone. And I'm going to talk about that quickly. And then he places them in families, and I'll allude to that more in just a moment. I'm going to, again, commence with that he sets or places the solitary into a permanent dwelling, a place of, if you will, acceptability. I've got a thought that came to me, and I'll tell you where it came from here in just a moment. But with that word solitary, I've read this psalm many times over the years. I've pondered it and thought about it as I've seen what God does in the life of men and women. When you look at it in its original language, and other translations have it as a lonely, not just solitary, but lonely. Uh, I began to think about that, and I thought, how many people struggle in our generation with loneliness, with just feeling alone 
I thought, I asked myself that question, have I ever felt alone? And I have at times. And I wanted to ask you, have you ever felt alone, just truly alone? You know, so that particular word, just it, it means sad because one has either no friends or companions, which we'll go in more detail about that. It can mean and be translated desolate or solitary. It's associated with depressing feelings. It can be related to exile or without company. In my study in preparation for this sermon, I, I discovered that, that psychology has identified what, three primary areas of loneliness, three types are mentioned in many of the studies. And so I obviously am just gleaning from them. But I think you can relate to it, and that's my whole objective here. And I'll, again, when you see what, where and when God put this spark in my heart, uh, I think it will become more real to you in the depth of this sermon but in this, they've identified three areas of loneliness. I want to just mention real quickly. The first is emotional. And that's a sadness or a feeling of loss due to the absence of a loved one, typically. Or uh, an intimate or uh, a person that you're close with. It could be a friend. It could certainly be a spouse. It can be a, a long-standing partner, a boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever that might be. Um, that, that when that person, you've either lost them by death or by relationship, maybe it's fragmented, and you find yourself in that season of sadness related to their absence. Then we have social loneliness, and that's when we just have a little too small of a circle. Where God created us to be social, right? And we all know on the backside of COVID, we saw the trauma that so many through isolation went through. Uh, but, but, you know, if we're not careful, we're continuing it. Come on now. And so it's a desolate feeling that's, that's, again, due to a broader group of social conduct or social uh, network. But then, then we have existential. Existential uh, loneliness is this. It's a, it's, it's a feeling of, of emptiness related to a broader sense of abandonment. It's almost that moment when you feel so small in the universe. It's not that you're just feeling a sense of loneliness because maybe you lost a loved one or a friend. It's, it's when you're asking that big question that we can't always answer, even in theology, and that's why. It's that, that, that feeling that comes over you when you, just, when you look at the culture around you or you look at the economic situation or the, the threat of war and you suddenly feel that just begin to press into yourself and you find yourself becoming isolated as an end result. And so some believe that emotional and social loneliness can be solved through communication and closeness and love, but existential loneliness can only be, uh, cannot necessarily be, uh, be solved by that. I'll tell you the only one that can solve that, and that's God. Amen. He's the only one that can fix that part of the human being. Let me give you just real quickly before I begin to fold in doctrine to this. Statistics on loneliness. Did you know, according to studies... Arkansas is the sixth loneliest state in the United States. I think part of that is it's because it's rural, because we're so rural. And the tendencies of rural people are is that we can live with you and we can live without you. Right? And then yet when, when there's changes, climatic changes around us, rural people have a tendency to isolate ourselves even farther. Right? And so, but now these are some additional statistics that, that were surprising to me. Did you know 36% of people report serious loneliness at times. Remember, God sets the solitary. The other translations say those that are lonely. Not just the King James, the solitary. God sets those who are lonely into families. We're going we're to be tied to that today. And so, but I was surprised to discover that 61% of young adults between the ages of 18 and 25 deal with great bouts of loneliness. 
a feeling of, of sadness, of separation and isolation. And 51% of mothers with young children deal with it. And we know, all of us know that many times that the seniors, seniors that, that, that often were so active and had a lot of people around them in their lives when they were younger, but as they age, many times their friends and their companions have passed and their relationships and we've all, we've all had family and friends and people that are part of the church that, 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 that live lonely lives towards the end of their life. And, and it can be a tough place to be, church family. And, and we, want to, we want to address some things. And we want to say, you know, the studies show that there's a great number of senior adults that will go oftentimes five to six days, or, so almost an entire week, without seeing or speaking to anybody at all. Anybody at all, not a phone call, not a knock on the door, not going to Walmart, not anything, just, just uh, isolation. And I'll tell you what, in that isolation, I'll tell you a lot of things negative can happen. And as we're talking about this real quickly, let me go ahead and just bridge it for a moment. To be alone for a season does not necessarily mean that you're lonely. So let me just say that. Because God often either allows for or even asks us to make time alone. Sometimes that's what we need in the busyness of the, of, the, of, the, of the society that we live in is we need some alone time. But, but I'm not talking about that today. I'm talking about when life around you and you find yourself isolated to the degree that you're empty inside. That's what I'm talking about. So you would think that, if we're not careful, we would think that the antidote to that very quickly would be just being in a large corporate setting. But, you know, that's not the case either. I've been pastoring long enough to know that people can be in a large corporate setting and still feel all alone. It matters. In fact, let me go out there on a limb for just real quickly. It happens every Sunday. Every Sunday in this assembly and other churches just like ours that people come in to crowded buildings and yet still feel isolated, solitary, and all alone. Did you know the psalmist was dealing with something related to this in Psalm 42? And I don't know if it was a depressive order that was related to loneliness or not, but he talked about it in his writings. And he talked about longing for God, longing for the presence of God, and yet still searching. And he talked about his tears. He said, my tears have been my meat day and night. And then here's what he said. He said, I was a part of the multitude. I was a part of the multitude that went to the house of God. And he, so he went into the midst of the congregation, but here's what he said. But all the while, I was asking my soul, I said, soul, why are you cast down within me? And so I don't know if it was just depression that he was dealing with, or was that a part because of something that was related to him being isolated, but it just reminds me that the antidote is not just necessarily being in a congregational setting. And so in the crowd, you can be in the crowd, but not in the fellowship. And we want folks to be a part of the fellowship, right? So there was a, you say, Pastor, what put me this direction? Well, I'm going to be honest. It was a spark that happened when I was sitting on the front row, and I was listening to Pastor Burton minister. And when he read the text, that part of his text, or quoted part of the text last week, stood out in my heart and mind. And then when I began to see the altar call unfold, I saw some of those things right before my eyes. Because he read, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read the entirety of verse 24 of the 32nd chapter of Genesis, but I'm going to read just the first initial statement. And he spoke of this. It was about Jacob. And I'm saving this with Jacob when I minister this word uh, probably on Father's Day. But catch that first little statement. And Jacob was left alone. And, and I just began to think about this because Jacob was beside a brook. It's the brook Jabok. And his family, just for a minute of time, 
His family has been sent over the brook. The pastor put the context for us. It's Jacob has been with uh, Laban for 20 years. He had gone over the brook Jabbok with just a staff and a little pouch and no resources, no family, no in, nothing at all. But God had blessed him. Now he's coming back. He's got two companies. There's, in that culture, it's accepted. Not good in our culture. He had two wives. He had a lot of children, and he had a lot of resources. But he's afraid of what's going to happen when they meet his brother Esau because he had stolen his birthright from him, right? Anybody remember that story? And so there's a lot of anxiety that begins to weigh on his heart, and he's afraid, and he sends his family over, and he sits in the darkness. Let me tell you, there's something about being, and he's, he's beside the brook, so let me just tell you real quickly. He's in a wilderness environment. And for all of us that have ever hunted, I want you to know the, the wilderness can be two things. The two, it can be, number one, it can be very therapeutic. Right. It can be very therapeutic because there have been many days, and so it's been turkey season as of late, but over the years there have been many mornings about 8 a.m. that I've sat in the woods, leaned against a hardwood tree, and the greenery of spring is finally emerging, and the birds, the sound of orchestra in my ears, is my, and I don't even have to have a gobble. Goodness gracious. I, it's just the sound of the songbirds, and it's so therapeutic, and you pray, and you think, and your mind has all these positive thoughts, but there have been other times that I've been in the wilderness that the darkness just begins to close in on you. There have been times that I felt a weight and a heaviness that's just come over me. And, and I felt, if you will, if I'm going to just be honest, afraid. It just begins to envelop. I was sharing this with Shane. And Shane said, there have been times that I've been on a tree stand in the wilderness. And I was glad I was on the stand because the wilderness could be foreboding. And I just believe that that's where Jacob was. He was in that moment and that he was alone. And it began to push in and press in upon him. And that was where the spark for this word came in my heart because I knew what the psalmist said. God would take those that are alone, solitary, and he will put them in families. So with this, and then when I saw the altar call given, and I saw men and women come forward, and I don't know everybody's story, but I know a little bit of the majority of people that went forward for prayer, and I saw hurting people that were looking to God for healing, and some of which I knew some of their struggles, and I knew that some of them were experiencing to a degree was a sense of loneliness, alone, isolation, not feeling connected. And, and I saw that God was moving in their hearts, and I said, God, I think there's a greater work of your spirit that needs to take place in the heart and lives of men and women. Because to be honest, there were a lot more people that needed to respond to that altar call last week than what came forward. Of what God was wanting to do in their heart and lives. Come on somebody, amen. You know in scripture there have been a lot of times people have found themselves alone. Right? And I know there are times God calls you to be alone. And I'll speak on that in the days ahead. But you know there are times in scripture where it, was just, uh, it wasn't just being alone. It was some type of loneliness. It was an abandonment if you will. The scripture says of Abraham that there was a horror of great darkness that came upon him. Did you know the Bible speaks about Jeremiah, where Jeremiah, over his ministry, he was isolated from the other prophets. He was isolated from the temple, and he spoke of it. It was because he felt ministry had isolated him from friendship and companionship. And we've all talked in days come by about Elijah the prophet when he conversed with God on Mount Sinai with his head wrapped in a mantle as he prayed. And, and, and the Lord spoke to him, and he, he felt all alone. He said, Lord, there's nobody left but me. They've all fallen. I guess 
if you will, uh, existential loneliness had come upon him. The whole scheme of the culture and the world had begun to weigh upon him. And he didn't think that there was anybody else out there that carried the same convictions, the same morals, the same values, that believed in the same God. He thought that he was all alone. I thank God that God reminded him that he was not all alone. Right? And sometimes we need that reminder in our lives as well. The scripture tells us the psalmist, the psalmist spoke of this. The psalmist said, I've become a stranger. I've become isolated, listen to this, to even my own brethren, to even my own family. That's a difficult place to be. And I thought about Hagar for a moment. Did you know that when Abraham sent Hagar away, remember, remember Hagar, who was the uh, handmaid, of Sarah, who was given to Abraham, and he went into her and produced a child. And later, when there was contention, the Lord said, Send her away. Abraham was a wealthy man, but if you've ever studied that in the Genesis, he did not give her uh, any type of financial assistance. He put her on, a, on an animal and gave her a bottle of water and a pack lunch and sent her off into the wilderness. And I guarantee you, she felt all alone, abandoned. And Paul said these words Paul said, No man has stood with me. All have forsaken me. Well, Pastor Brown, what are some of the reasons that people go through loneliness? Well, we lost a loved one for sure. I've watched that as a pastor. I've been pastoring now for 27 years, and I've watched church family when that marriage of 40, 50, 60, 70 years, and one's taken and death, and the other's left, and man, it's hard. Come on, somebody, or go out there today. It's very somber in here today, but I'm going to go with it. I'm going to believe that's the Lord working in our hearts. Or what about a close relationship? Not just through death, but a friendship that was fragmented. And you found yourself isolated from that relationship, and you had no ability to restore it. And the pain of that prevents you from seeking another relationship. I've often thought of this that in the context of this loneliness that some people are are isolated or solitary because they lack confidence they they like self-image if you will a little bit of self-esteem in the sense of a value system now for us we say our value system is extracted from god but some people when you talk to them it doesn't take long before their heads hang down very quickly and as a result they often are isolated others sometimes it's our own personalities are a little bit abrasive did you know sometimes people find themselves a little bit isolated because other people distance themselves from you because you're just a little bit overwhelming to them? And I'm not trying to say that's right or wrong. I'm just telling you that's just the reality of where we're at. Sometimes we have a tendency to wear people away. And so, in essence, they keep us at hand's length from us. Sometimes it's our tragedy or trauma that we've gone through. We've gone through such a great tragedy that other people just don't even know how to help we don't even know how to respond and sometimes tragically we fail to do anything and so therefore we in essence by default we cause somebody to be alone so there's a lot of reasons and some are truly lonely because of fear and that's something i want to address here at some point in time here today i don't want to leave undone i've also realized this in our generation people are often choosing to be alone because they're afraid of additional suffering let me say this to you about Job. Does anybody remember what happened to Job? We studied Job in the men's Bible study recently. It was just one night. We kind of concluded with this. Job had a day unlike any other. Job lost all of his business. He lost business partners. He lost his assets. And he lost his children all in one day. All in one day. And, when he went through, and then later, it wasn't shortly thereafter, he lost his health. 
He's sitting in, in, in ashes, and he's taking a broken piece of clay, and he's covered in boils after experiencing the loss of all things. The only thing he had left was his wife, and she's not much of a comforter at that particular moment because here's what she says, why don't you just curse God and die? And he's taking a pot sheared, a little piece of broken clay, and he's cutting the boils that are on his flesh to get some relief when men come to him to comfort him. And they spend seven days with him, and they sit down, and they don't say a word for seven days. And when they go through the process of attempting to comfort him, here's what Job's initial response. He said, are not my days few? He said, then cease then and let me alone. I'd rather be alone. He wanted to continue in his isolation that I may take comfort just a little bit probably before I die. And so that was his choice. He wanted to be alone. But listen, let me tell you what God said about loneliness very quickly. In the Genesis, when God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he was created in the likeness and the image of God, God said this, it is not good for man to be alone. That means we need something, a supernatural work of God. Listen to what Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, if you would. I love Ecclesiastes. It's the writings of the preacher. Verses 9 through 12. Let's read it together. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Are you out there today? Let's go farther. Number 10, verse 10. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe. Hmm? Y'all stay with, there is a depth to this church family. I'm going to show you the value of it in just a moment. But I, you say, Pastor, this looks like you're very personal to individuals. Yes, absolutely. But there's a corporate word to this today that we have got to see. Woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. There are people isolated from the fellowship, isolated from friendship, isolated from companionship, isolated from an encourager, isolated from an intercessor, isolated from somebody who can pray with them, right? And they are isolated and and there's no way because they're separated the writer here is warning us of what could take place verse number 11 let's read this two verses again if two lie together then they have heat but how can one be warm alone right verse number 12 let's read it together and if one prevail against him if you're alone he says but two can withstand him and a threefold cord is not quickly broken so the writer here is encouraging us showing us and warning us of the deadly effects of what it can take or what takes place when we find ourselves alone. Let me just go ahead and begin to shift this for just a moment. There's a depth to this that we have not unfolded as of yet, but I'm soon to go there. To no longer truly be alone in this dark world. The, the world can be a great place, but it can also be a dark and solitary place. A dark and deep place of just questions and you're pondering and you're frustrated and fears. In order to truly no longer be alone, you've got to be found by Christ. Let me just go ahead and say, you have to be found by Christ. You've got to be willing to be found by Christ. Let me say, in Jesus' parable, one of the parables that he taught, he said there was a shepherd that had a hundred sheep, and one of them went astray. And you know what that shepherd did? He didn't just say, well, I've got 99, I'm going to continue. No, he left the 99 in the care of others, and he went out and he searched the wilderness, the lonely, solitary places, till he found the one lost sheep, and he brought him back to the fellowship. Come on, somebody, amen? 
Then there was the parable of the great supper that Jesus taught. And he spoke about outcasts. And he said, here, he said, there's room in my father's house. Because essence and what he's saying, he didn't say this, but I'm going to just tie this to it. He's saying that God takes the lonely and puts them in families. And so when no one responded to the invitations of this parable of the great supper, here's where he said, go out into the hedges and the highways. And here's who I want you to bring in. Bring in the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. All people dealing with personal crises that often result in loneliness. Bring the solitary and bring them into my family because there's room in the Father's house. How many are grateful today for Jesus? The old song said this, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. I'm so grateful for him today, amen. He will not leave us or he will not leave us comfortless. He will come to us. He will find you, redeem you, rescue you. He will bring you out of darkness, but he will bring you into his marvelous light. He will take you out of a life of brokenness and sorrow and, yes, even isolation. And he will put you into a permanent dwelling. The word families there in the Hebrew simply means a house or household or permanent dwellings. And that's the intent of God. I was thinking for just a moment that sin is comparable to leprosy. But how many know Jesus heals us of our leprosy? I said, Pastor, why would you make that point right here in the sermon? It's because when I was studying this in the scripture in the book of I believe it was Deuteronomy, no, Numbers, the book of Numbers, that when there was a person in Israel that was found to have leprosy, the scripture says he is to live alone outside the camp. But how many of you know that leprosy, leprosy represents sin, and Jesus came and he healed the leper, and he brings us into the camp. Come on, somebody, amen. There is communion and fellowship with God through Christ where one is never truly alone. We just have to learn that and have fellowship with him. The Father by the Spirit through the Son is always with us, a very present help even in times of trouble. But let me say this to you today. The person that God has saved and rescued and redeemed, God's desire and design is to place you into a social group that you will not be alone. That you won't live life alone. Come on. Church family, we need each other more now than we have ever needed one another in our lifetimes. We need the strength that the church gives. We've all seen what happened with COVID and the fragmentation of the church. Churches for three years have been regathering. We were scattered. All like sheep have gone astray. We were scattered by COVID and the response to COVID. And God is drawing us and pulling and wooing by his Holy Spirit. The psalmist said this, God sets the solitary in families. He sets those that are lonely, that are alone. God's plan is as you are delivered from darkness, he will set you into a family of faith. Do you all believe that today? I believe he has a family of faith for all that he calls out of darkness. In the case of adoption, and many of you have adopted, and many of you are foster uh, parents as well. Agency workers will search for families that are able to take in an orphan or a displaced child. They call that placement services. Families, when they uh, are, are being considered, listen to this, they have to sacrifice. If you've adopted someone, a child, you had to sacrifice. Changes had to be made. There was, there was, there was something, it wasn't just the child that was making a commitment, but certainly the, the parents and the family and the household as well certainly was. Uh, sometimes the physical house has to be changed and modified or remodeled. 
safety measures had to be put in place. And the older the child, the more difficult the transition. Many orphan children grow to adulthood because families just simply couldn't make the necessary adaptions to be able to adopt. So just real quickly, I want you to know today, in the kingdom of God, there's room at the Father's house. Right? There's room at the Father's house. And so I was thinking about this for just a moment of time. That Jesus said this. He said, I go to prepare you a place. Now, we often associate that, and we should, with heaven. But I want to put it here on the earth for just a moment of time. And so God has prepared a place for those that are brought out of darkness can be brought into a social network of faith and fellowship, and it's called the church. That God brings us together, men and women, with our hurts, with our sorrows, with our pain, with the, with the tragedies of life. But God is healing us, and he's entrusted us with broken people. David brought Mephibosheth, one of my favorite stories of Scripture, to his house. And he said, you're going to eat at my table as one of my sons. Did you know that wasn't just a burden of responsibility upon David? It was upon David's children. Are you all hearing me today? It was for David's children because David's children, listen, let me, let's put into that culture for just a moment. The king often ate with his sons. The king had multiple wives, including concubines. He had multiple children. So therefore, the sons would be being brought in at different ages into the king's table. And so there was always an, ad, an, ad, an adjustment that was have to be made. But in this moment, it was unique. Mephibosheth was the oldest person that had ever been brought in. Mephibosheth, often overlooked, already had a child. He's a father himself. He's lame on both his feet, and he's come from brokenness, a life of brokenness. That's all he's ever known is on the run. He's been on the run his whole life. And so for the family, for the children, they're seeing their father, David, bring in somebody who was a fugitive from the tribe that was seeking to kill David. And David said, move over, Absalom. Move over, other sons, I can't recall many of the names. Amasai, I think it is. It's another. Move over because I want Mephibosheth to sit right there. And it was there that God was putting it in my heart to tell you is that God expects you and I to make room. Right? If he's going to take the solitary, the lonely, the hurting, those isolated, and put them in families, then the family's got to make room at the table we got to make room at the Father's house. God's began a good work in them. He saved them from their sin, and he's placing them in families. It's a family of faith, but we got to make room for folks. Come on, somebody. Amen. Listen, if you've lived solitary long enough, you've developed patterns of life that are not always conducive for fellowship, and it takes time to adjust. Come on, somebody. Right? You and I have to understand that the solitary, those who are isolated, that have been loners in their life, that when they're brought into the family of faith, and let me tell you this, God's the one that's bringing them. Amen. This is his will. God's will is to take people that are here, 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 and scattered, and God brings them and puts them into the structure of the family of faith. So y'all stay with me. Let me tell you about them just real quickly. They're growing. They're learning. They're having to adapt. They're having to adjust. They're nervous. They don't know what to say. Listen, every, we, we know everybody. They don't know anybody, right? Everything's familiar to many of us. All things are new to them, right? They're often going to say that things or do things that might frustrate you. Man, I'm preaching way better than y'all responding real quickly, right? But you can't thrust them away. 
right, just because you don't understand them. You know, I was thinking about that. Did you know Moses had been alone in Pharaoh's house? Wait a minute, how is that Moses alone in Pharaoh's house? He's the son, in essence, the adopted son of the, of the Pharaoh. How is he alone? Because he's a Hebrew living amongst the Egyptians, right? He was alone. But when God awakened something inside of him to go to his own, he went to his own, and his own didn't receive him, and they thrust him away for 40 more years of isolation. If we're not careful, we're going to repeat that in our generation. Man, I'm preaching good right now. So we've got to, we've got to make room, church family. We've got to let people grow. We've got to allow them to experience God's grace. We've got to allow them to adapt to being adopted. Let me say it one more time. That's right. We've got to let men and women adapt to having been adopted in the kingdom of God. Just like you and I were. We need genuine love, patience, fellowship, and gentleness, and a willingness to help them to get to the table. Right? Like Mephibosheth, they can't always get there as quickly as you. They're crippled on both their feet. They're still struggling with some of the pain of their past and their sorrow, and they may not look as sanctified and sound as sanctified as many others. And so you and I have got to say, but you know what? God's made room for you, and we're going to make room for you, right? Some come in with issues unresolved. Some come in, they've got brokenness still. They've got anger. They've got resentment. And let me tell you, in the right situation, some of those emotions can still come out. You know, I've learned, Pastor, long enough, I'll still hear words spoken from somebody that's in the church because they got put in a moment where some of that stuff hadn't been totally delivered of them as of yet, and it came forth. And I'm telling you, we have got to still make room for folks in the Father's house because God wants to set the solitary. God doesn't want you to live life. I've said it this way. He doesn't want you to be the Lone Ranger. Come on now. He wants to take the solitary and put you in a family. Some come in because God brings them to our fellowship to help us to grow in, in, in ministry. Sometimes God brings people to the church who grew in another fellowship, but they needed another season for either growth or development, and God brings them. Now, I challenge myself by saying we as pastors included have to guard ourselves from anything that might thrust them away. Guard ourselves in any capacity. Did you know Sarah gave Abraham Hagar to go in unto? But later when Abraham and Hagar are huddled up in the corner and he's rubbing on her belly suddenly Sarah's not that high on Hagar anymore right so so what I'm saying is you got to be we've got to guard ourselves none of us want to be the older brother of the prodigal who's angry at the father that had a rebellious son who's finally come home let me tell you what God's doing God is weeping for people to come back to the father's house I'm praying in the name of Jesus that in our generation I'm telling you, with the things that are happening around us in the culture of America, there are men and women that need to make their way quickly from the far country back to the Father's house. And when they get here, we cannot be the older brother that kicks them or condemns them or says, well, look what they used to be and what they used to do. No, we got to say, you know what? God is merciful. He's gracious. And there's room at the Father's house for them. And God will do a work in them. He has began a good work in them. Let me tell you something about God. He's not just Alpha, but He is Omega. If He begins a good work, He is faithful to complete that work. And there are some folks that have brokenness right now. They've got 
got broken patterns of life and they're still dealing with some of the things that they used to know when they were in the world and now they're in the church. But there will come a moment in their lives when God's grace will be sufficient and they'll overcome all of that and there will be pillars in the house of God. And you and I have to make room for them. It's easy to make room. It's easy to make room for the Walt and Diane Atkinsons that come to our church from Alaska that come in and, and, and they're so faithful from day one. But it's what about people that come in with issues, come in with challenges, come in still with brokenness? Come on now. That's, that's the tipping point. That's the deciding point for our church right there. Now we can sit around all day and we can wait for the sanctified holy people to move to our church. Or we can say, God, I want to make room. I want to make room in the Father's house and allow them to come in and find fellowship, glory to God. And I'm not talking about the perverted doctrine of the Methodists. Open arms and open doors where, where there's no doctrinal distinction and there's no conviction. I'm not talking about people who are in darkness because darkness and light don't mingle. I'm talking about people who have been saved from darkness, delivered from darkness, and they're growing right? Then they're growing. That's who I'm talking about. And so church family, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place. I believe that if we want to bring it forward to our time, we can, or to the present moment, he's got a place for the solid. He's got a place for all of us called heaven, but we're not there yet. And I want the church to be a safe place for the people of God, for people of God. Uh, we've got to make room. Come on, somebody. We make room for the lonely, for those who are solitary. And I want to speak to you just real quickly to those that are solitary. i got just a little bit more. Stay with me today. You will never be fully you until you're willing, until you are willing to be where God places you. I want to go ahead and challenge the church family. <laughs> Shane and I, I got to tell you, I, I meant to say this and I forgot, but you need a little moment here. So every now and then there's a little bit of uh, discussion about uh, renaming the church. We've been there before in the past. And just because a lot of times churches today aren't named necessarily first. Because what if there's more than one in the city? Second, third, fourth. How would you like to be like sixth Baptist? <laughs> so every now and then that's because we, we talked to someone, you know, asked recently and said, are we Heber First Assembly or are we First Assembly Heber? First Assembly of God Heber. And so that's a fair question. But we discovered the name of a church. I don't, I just can't go there. Well, we were up in south central Missouri to a little community that I've been before called Licking, Missouri. And Licking has an Assembly of God church. And on the big sign that says Licking Assembly of God. I took a picture of it and I sent it to Jason and Jojo and I said, I, I just can't quite go there. I know there's open arms and open doors, and I know there's, what was that church we saw, Sherry and BB right there, Open Arms Fellowship or something like that, but I, Joe, I don't know if we can be licking Assembly of God. I just don't know. I just, I, I'm just, I don't think I can go there. So, but while there, wasn't in licking, but in Salem, we did go to Burger King. And Shane remembered my infamous sermons, and he pointed right there, and he said, see, Rev, you're exactly right. It says, you can have it your way. We have brought that mentality 
into our spirituality as American Christians. We think we get to decide where we want to go to church. No, God places us. God places us. We have to say, God, I only want to go where you want me to be. Are you hearing me today? So we have got to deal and challenge ourselves with this. So let me go back, and I'm getting ready to close in just a moment of time. But I'm speaking to those that have had a tendency to be isolated, separated from the commonwealth, if you will, of the fellowship. You will never be fully you until you are willing to be where God places you. If there's ups and downs and there's highs and lows, but God places you where he chooses for you to be. Let me just say this to you. You can't come to the fellowship and still stay alone. You can't just stay hidden among us. You have to have friends, but in order to have friends, you've got to show yourself friendly. Right? You've got you to push beyond your natural tendencies. Natural tendency sometimes for some people is to sit in the corner even in a group setting. But you need relationship. I want to encourage you. Don't judge everyone that you think is criticizing you. Many times I've seen people, they think, well, this person must think about this. And get that all out of your mind. Come into the house of God and worship the Lord and relate to other people. Right? It, we are not the church. I remember years ago, JoJo was talking about to, to someone that was thinking that other people were thinking this about them while they're in the church. And JoJo said, ain't nobody thinking about you at that moment. That's how, if he didn't say it like that, he should have. Because he's just simply saying, people get that in their mind and say, well, I'm going to go here and I'm going to hide over here in the corner because this person's thinking about this and this person's thinking about Who cares? Get over it. Just get in the presence of God and love other people. Show yourself friendly and God will put friends in your life. Glory to God. You got to get out of the out of the corner, if you will. You got to learn. This is for those that were saved a hundred for a hundred years, or whether you were saved last year. You got to consider one another and prefer one another. You got to put the needs of others. When you begin to do that, you're going to see you're going to see your social network in the kingdom grow. And let me tell you about the church real quickly. You can't be served every time you come together. It's not all about you, right? Sometimes. You get to be Mary, and you get to sit at the feet of Jesus. You do, and you just get to soak in his word. But sometimes you got to have a robe. you got to have, have an apron on. you got to have your hair all tied up, right? you got to have a little flower on you, this, and you got to come in, and you got to be willing to serve, right? you got to be willing to serve other people. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you a little bit of a secret. You will connect more to people in serving than you will than just being served, right? You'll get to know far more people, and you'll build deeper relationships when you serve others. So don't expect people, listen to this, to make room for your gift. If you're coming to the church, some of us think, well, I've got a gift I want to share. Listen, don't expect people to make room for your gift. Your gift will eventually make room for you, listen to this, when your heart has emerged. If we learn to trust your heart, we'll learn to trust your gift, right? In finding our place in the body of Christ. So you can't be placed in the family and come in and make it what you think it should be. The family, tribe, the people, the church, the families that were referred to in the psalmist had a vision and purpose before God placed you here. So he placed you to help the vision of the house, not displace the vision of the house. Come on, somebody. So I'm closing here now. To those who have a tendency to be isolated or alone out of fear of inferiority, 
Let me tell you about the people that you're sitting amongst today. I'm going to tell you about them real quickly. All of us have had a past. <laughs> Just go I'm telling you, even the super sanctified one, that, I mean, sancti- we talked about it in our class today, so that, that are glowing with sanctification. They too had a past, right? I'll tell you about the people around you today just real quickly. There are professionals among us, men and women of distinct educational process or prowess and achievement who work in careers and are working in, uh, in business and successful in business, but they were sinners too before he found them. Come on, somebody, right? Others among us are blue-collar, hard-working, clock-in, clock-out, hard-hat, lunchbox, blue-jean kind of folks. All throughout this fellowship. Let me tell you about this church family just real quickly. If you're new to our fellowship and you're saying, I'm just trying to integrate. I'm going to tell you, the people that, are, that you're seated amongst today, let me tell you about them real quickly. I'll tell you, some of them have made some great decisions in life and God has honored those decisions. Others have made poor decisions and then spent a lifetime of recovering from those poor decisions. Among us are people that have had marriage problems, family problems, children problems. Some have struggled with addictions. Some are struggling with addictions. Some have gone through bankruptcy. Some have, uh, have lost their job, been fired from their jobs. Some fell into sin and fell away from the church. And then God drew them out of that darkness and brought them back and placed them back into the fellowship. Are you out there today? And, 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 so, and yet others, again, did make some good decisions. And God has blessed a, a great portion of their life. So there's a lot of diversity in the body. So there's no reason for you to begin to think, well, everybody's looking at my life. No, I'll tell you what. We're going to make room for all that God chooses to place in our fellowship. Our common denominator is this. He saved us. (laughs) He delivered us from chains. He set us free from sin. And he brought us into his family of faith. There's a change in the end of my sermon. I've never said this before, but Caleb, will you join me on the platform? Yeah, that's a nice ring to it. Let me tell you about this church family. There are no big eyes and little U's. If we're who God's called us to be, we make room for one another. You know the reason why that I have such affection for Pastor Burton, and I don't, I, I don't talk to Pastor, sometimes I've gone over a year without talking to him, without a text or a phone call or anything like that, because I'm a pastor today, and I'm busy <laughs> on my mission in Missouri, never mind, we won't go there. Shane needed personal counseling, personal counseling. <laughs> but the reason why the reason why, there's a lot of reasons why I have such respect. And he's, he's, made, he's made some poor decisions in the past, things that he's talked about openly and things that all that, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Is that in 1989, Sherry and I walked into MacArthur Assembly of God, and after a short period of time, their church made room for us. And Pastor Burton made room for me. And I want to be that kind of pastor today. Let me tell you, occasionally our church has dysfunction, but we are not dysfunctional. Come on, somebody, amen, Amen. right? We pray through things. We work through things. We forgive. Come on, somebody. That's the call of Christ, and we love. This is our family. 
There's a reason why every pastor that has ever stood on the stage addresses you this way. Good morning, church family. Because God said he takes the solitary, those isolated and alone, and he puts you in a family. And I want to pray that in the days ahead that our family of faith can be strengthened, that we can grow closer than we've been in the past. Come on, somebody. I pray that God begins to renew relationships and deepen relationships. And maybe some of you will make new relationships. Did you know we're not a mega church by no stretch of the imagination, but we have a large sanctuary. And did you know that you can be two years in the same building with somebody and never have greeted them in two years? And so I just want to encourage you, do whatever it takes to come together in the fellowship. God puts the solitary. So this sermon series, I gained a spark. Where do pastors get, get our sermons from? Where do we go? We pray. I, I don't get mine from sermon.com. I pray, and I'm just looking for a word in season. That's all I want. Whether it's got deep theology or whether it's shallow theology, whether it's something I'm really familiar with that I can preach like second nature or whether it's something that I have to kind of study it out and I'm a little awkward in sharing it. You know, I, I don't know. But, but I, I just wanted you to know that this message, the spark of it, the spark of it came to me when I was seated right there last Sunday morning and it first happened when that text hit the screen. It was King James Version. He was paraphrasing it, Pastor Burton was. It said, and Jacob was left alone. Just those words, Jacob was left alone. Because I knew Psalm 68. I've read it and meditated on it many times over the years. God places, God places, God places. And then I'm just going to be honest. I saw the people that came forward for prayer. And I knew a little bit of their story, not all their story, but I knew a little bit of it to know that some of them had come through seasons of being alone, and many of them were still there. And that's why, woe to him who is alone. I could have called that sermon today. Woe to him who is alone. Hear the weight of that. Woe to him who is alone. For when he falls... He has no man to help him up. The only way that we can prevent that from happening is we have to deepen our relationships and fellowship. Right? And then if we ever fall, God forbid that we do, but if we do, there's somebody. Come on, there's somebody looking for us. There's somebody reaching out to us. There's somebody that's there to assist us and help us up. I want to ask the Lord to help us here today. I want to ask the Lord. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'm not going to, I'm not going to isolate. I'm going to bring the church family together in a group in just a moment. In a group. You've got to give me an altar this morning. You've got to for a few minutes. You've got to. It's, it's 1146. 1146. So, but I want to do something in private. And then I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I don't want to say embarrass you, that's the wrong word, but I'm not going to, in essence, identify you that you raise your hand, because what you're about to do is raise your hand in private, because I'm going to bring the fellowship as a whole to the altar, those who will. But I want to make, I want to make eye contact with you as a pastor, so that I'll know 
so that I'll know, so that I can pray, and I can ponder your situation and say, God, how can we, how can we help this individual to no longer feel alone? If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've, I've struggled with being alone a lot in my life. I've been alone. I've learned to live with it, but it doesn't mean I'm contented there. And a lot of people don't even know the sorrow or the pain that I've had as a result of it. And I long, I long for what you're talking about today, Pastor, Pastor Brown. I long for that greater communion and fellowship, and I need it so much in my life. If that's you, slip your hand up today. I see. Mom, I'm saying thank you so much, so much, so much. Thank you. Thank you today. How many of you know God loves us in such a special way? Now, before I bring the church family forward for prayer, just a corporate prayer, corporate, collective, collective prayer, collective. Maybe there's somebody here today that you don't know that friend that I spoke of earlier that I called the lowly Jesus. That's what the song says. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. I'm telling you, he's the friend that will stick closer than a brother. He's the one that left eternity. We were singing about it a few moments ago. We sang about it. He left eternity, left his throne to find you, to search for you. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know this Jesus. I know of him. I know his name. I know about him, but I don't have communion. Did you know the Bible says that he stands at the door of your heart right now, knocking? Did you know that? Listen, listen. This is him. You think that's your heartbeat. You think that is, is, is just a little bit of your consciousness. No, I'll tell you, that's the Spirit of God. He's knocking on your heart. He's knocking on your heart. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open unto me, he said, the Father and I will come in to him, listen to this, and sup with him, and you'll, never, you'll not be alone. If that's you today, and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'll pray with you right where you're at today that you can make a profession of faith in Christ, that you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And let me tell you what it means. You'll be saved. If that's you, slip your hand up today. I'll pray with you right where you're at. I'll give you a moment here today before I ask our church service or anyone today. I'm going to ask everybody, if you would, to stand with me just very quickly. Would y'all do something for me just very, very quickly today? Would y'all do something? It's, it's, I don't want to say for me. It's for you. But you do it because I'm asking you to do it. Would you come forward at the altar for a moment of time? I believe in corporate, altar, collective, just step out. I know, Pastor, I'm, I'm, this is my altar. I'm at. I, I believe in that. I do. I'm not trying to take away from it. But I just want us to pray. You've heard me preach. We've got to make room. We pray that we make room at the altar. We've got to make room. Let's make room at the church. Make, make room in our fellowship. I want to encourage you today. Church family, probably 15 to 20 people raised their hand. You don't know who they are because you weren't looking around. 15 or 20 people in this setting right here raised their hand and said, I've struggled with bouts of loneliness and isolation in my life. We're going to pray one for the other, aren't we? We're going to pray corporately. I'm not asking you to go and minister to them. 
And, and I debated whether or not I should have brought them forward, but I, I don't know that that would have been the right thing at that time to do. I know that they need the structure of what the church offers, don't they? Every one of us do. We need the structure that the church offers. Let's pray. Let's pray for one another today. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, we pray one for the other. I'm so grateful for a family of faith. Come on, somebody. Let's, y'all just join with me right now. Use your voices. God, we're so thankful for a family of faith. A family. I don't know about you. I'm so grateful God put me in a church family. God, long years ago when I was at MacArthur Assembly of God, Father, you placed Sherry and I in that family. And we were faithful to that family until you moved us to a new season. God, of pastoring. Father, we were faithful to that church family. I'm so grateful that the, that family opened wide. They, they made room for us. They made room for our giftings, our callings. They made room for our, our heart. They made room for our family. Father, in Jesus' name. And God, now, I, I, I'm, I'm standing here today amongst men and women that when I think about, I don't think about it as, as a church. I don't think about it as a building or even the ecclesia, the called out ones. I think about them as my family. I think about the men and women that I'm standing and, uh, and sit amongst, and we work together, we laugh together, we love together, we cry together. Sometimes we see everything eye to eye, and sometimes there's slight differences. But we've learned to move beyond all that and still stay connected. And God, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that, that we as a collective fellowship will be in a constant state of making room of making room for men and women, men and women that you are placing. I don't know if you can trust every church, God. I know that you, you long to, to trust your church. I pray that we're a church that you can trust, that we're a church that you can say, you know what, I'm going to bring this person, and they're going to have these issues, and they're going to be dealing with this, but I'm going to bring them to First Assembly Heber Springs because I can trust them. They're going to love them. They're going to, uh, you can bring us a Mephibosheth, lame on both their feet, and you'll help us to love them, God. Help us, God, to, to help people to find their gift and their calling. Help men and women, God, today. I want to pray. Church family, would you pray with me right now for the 15 to 20 people? Somewhere in that number could be a little bit greater, could be a little bit less, but I think greater, that raised their hand and said, Pastor, I struggled in the past. And I may be even struggling in the present. I pray for them today. Would you, right now, would you pray? Maybe you know some of them. Maybe you know of someone in our fellowship that's been isolated, alone, and God wants to do something in them. God, I pray for them today. God, I pray. Father, I thank God today. I added my agreement to pray for the missionaries. I added my agreement to pray for Pine Bluff. But today, right now, to close this sermon... We come together to pray for those that raised their hand just a few minutes ago that, that, that just identified themselves in a public setting with a little bit of privacy that said, I've struggled. Let me tell you, God saw your heart. God saw your hand and he saw your heart. God, I pray that you do such a work in their heart and life that they find the fellowship that they need. Come on, somebody, that they find the fellowship that they need God, in Jesus' name, God, to be able to be in a place of contentment and at peace rather than in a season 
of isolation and loneliness. In Jesus' name, God, I pray. I pray over each one today. Over each one today. Hmm. Here's my closing word. Church family, look at me just real quickly. Here's my closing word for you today. God, I'm going to close real quickly because we're going we're gonna to say one closing prayer to add to this just real quick. There's a lot of things happening in the culture. Y'all know that? The fear of that uncertainty, whether it be culturally or globally, drives many people into greater isolation. Hill country people already have a natural tendency when things get unsettled, we isolate ourselves. That's our tendency, right? During difficult times. So when Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, was writing about a, some type of apocalyptic times, he was writing about some type, whether it was to his day or to our day, here's what he said. In, in, in the backdrop of, of, of things that could just unfold in front of them that, they, that, would, that would shake and traumatize, he said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Don't let, don't let all this going on around you keep you from one another, right? Guard yourself. So my closing word to pray with you on this is we can't let the culture war, the culture change, the political divide, the fears of economic recession or even depression or even the fear of some type of war in the future cause us to isolate ourselves even more. We've got to be, we've got to make room. Let's pray. God, I bless the people of God with that final word. Unsettled times have come upon the land. Let it not divide us as a fellowship. Let it bring us closer to one another. I'm going to believe that, Father God, that in the days ahead, we will not allow, whether it be COVID or a season of sickness or whether it be uncertainty, as I've just mentioned, without repeating all those things, we are not going to allow that to cause us to hide in the wilderness. You have not called us to to hide in the wilderness. You've called us to be a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. You've called us to be a light in the midst of darkness. God, I pray, Lord, that, that our church family, God, we would, we would find the rallying point. The rallying point is the house of God. That's where, Father God, we have, met, we have set this place aside, 1009 West Cersei, Cersei Street, as a, as a sanctuary, God. So we run, we run here for sanctuary, God, and we find fellowship one with the other. Stir that in our hearts. Let that be a part of who we are. And we have prayed one for another. And when we walk out of this room today, we're going to love one another. Come on, somebody. In Jesus' name and all God's children said, amen, amen and amen. Thank you.